It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 72 of the Savage and Crowdy Sports Podcast. Here for you at 6.56 p.m. on this wonderful Wednesday, December 8th. I thought it was going to snow tonight, but I didn't see any snow on my drive home from work. Don't know if it's snowing now. Have the shades down. Um, we're here. Episode 72, the Frank Vitrano episode of the Salvage and Credit Sports podcast. Um, what, who else are we talking from Bruins? Um, let me get the page back up. Nicholas Svedberg. I knew us were getting a goalie. Who can forget Nicholas Svedberg? Uh, Jamie Arneal, Peter Schaefer, um, for some older Bruins. A lot of us thought Jamie Arneal was going to pan out. He didn't. Um, Kajus, Yannick Kajus, where is it for the Patriots currently? Uh, Matt Light is definitely the biggest name of the bunch for the Patriots. There are a couple offensive linemen whose names we won't mention because I don't want to. That were 72, and I think <laughs> uh, yeah, cursed at this point. That took me a second. It's, I, just, I think they've cursed the number. Um, I really do. And for the Red Sox, we've got Garrett Whitlock currently. Um, Josh Taylor. Robbie Scott, Xander Bogarts, Ward back in 2013. So there you have it. We have an all Patriots and Bruins show today. And what a weirdly interesting game it was to the Patriots. Yeah, you could say that. I mean, definitely not the game you and I thought. I mean, we, when we did the predictions and stuff like that and the preview for the game, didn't really take weather into consideration. Uh, and my, my, should we have taken into consideration? Because that was a wild game from just obviously the start of it with the first kickoff going, what was it, three or four rows into the stands. I think uh, Jake Bailey's first punt went to the Patriots sideline about 14 yards away. So a crazy game. Um, some may say a boring game because obviously if you've watched it and you know I don't know how many people like to watch a team run the ball 46 or whatever it was times, but it worked out. Um, great win for the Patriots. Obviously great team win. I think a lot of the talking points obviously 
came from the game, but some of the stuff we're going to touch on too is what was said after the game from one side being the bill side. And I think it was just another case of the Patriots. And again, just bringing, putting out the argument that the Patriots are fully back. I think uh, Monday night, you saw them just kill another franchise and kind of put the bills back to where they were a couple of years ago before their reign. I've seen a lot of people say, you know, the bills, what was it? 11th month reign, 11th month reign as uh, AFC East winners is over their dominance was not long lasted. I'm glad I was wrong about that. I'm wrong about a lot of things. I didn't think the Patriots were going to win this game. You did. You had them winning out. I think I've kind of come around to your side of the argument. I don't think the Patriots are going to have a problem with the Bills when they go to Gillette, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, just, yeah, I know I'm rambling. Uh, just great overall team win uh, in a crazy game, to say the least. Yeah, it was like there was a lot that happened in even such a low-scoring game. And low, like, event game, if you will, because we're used to just so much more passing. I've never seen a game like it at any level. Uh, it was wild. It was not, like, stressful, but, like, suspenseful. Because, like, it was suspenseful in the most, like, anticlimactic way possible because it wasn't, you know, there weren't a ton of huge plays. Um, mm. One of them was a difference maker, as we know, with Damian Harris's 64-yard touchdown. That play was weird all around. You know, the Bills played that horribly on defense, gave him way too big of a hole. And then I was talking to my dad about this. I don't think in any situation you should have just one defender back like they had Micah Hyde. I really mm-hmm. just don't think it's worth the risk. And you saw why with Damian Harris only having to beat him once he got that giant hole and then mm-hmm. just taking it to the house for probably the easiest touchdown he's ever scored at that yeah. point. Once he mm-hmm. got past the, the defenders, um, it's crazy how much of a difference it made when it all came down to it. That happened so early on. It's crazy how much the fumble he had early on could have made a huge difference, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. This game was was very unique. Yeah, so I mean, because I feel like you were kind of waiting for a turnover that didn't really come. That changed again. Like you said, the Harris fumble early may have changed things, but it obviously didn't hurt. Uh, I mean, Buffalo, their fumble help the Patriots out a little bit but it was really really wasn't anything crazy both quarterbacks kind of played the game smartest and a lot of people say Josh Allen even though obviously he got the loss didn't put up a ton of points played it really well um given the game plan that he had we can talk a little bit about that as we get further on because I thought they maybe should have used him a little bit more on the grounds especially when their run game was just so uh non-existent as it was um but yeah, I mean, I'm kind of right there with you it was a suspenseful game not like obviously it wasn't back and forth or anything you were kind of waiting for one big player so late that might have changed the game and that never really came. I mean, obviously Miles Bryant made a nice play at the end of the game to kind of wrap things up. But yeah, other than the Harris big run uh, touchdown, there really wasn't a whole lot of like phenomenal over the top moments. Yeah. And it's something I just thought of literally just now. Um, Cause I brought it up last week was, you know, I think the bills would have loved it if Najee Harris fell to them in the draft or if they took Javante Williams even though Gregory, Gregory Rousseau in this game made a couple nice plays on defense. Think about it with how much the ball was on the ground with how heavy the run game was for both teams in this game. What it would have been like having Najee Harris or Javante Williams versus scrubs like Zach Moss. A huge difference. And Devin Singletary and Matt Breida. Like, just a massive, massive, massive difference. Mm-hmm. Um but luckily for the Patriots, you know, the interior of their defensive line, their run defense, I thought was pretty good overall. I mean, that was phenomenal. Um, yeah. Probably the best game of the season from both of your lines, defense and offense. Um, 
stellar, stellar. Uh, we'll get more in depth on that in the studs and duds, which I think mm. this will segue us pretty good into that. Um, this was just a, a wild game in like the strangest way. Well, that's yeah, that's what I mean. Like you think of when somebody says a wild game, you think of a game like a 38 to 30 right down to the wire type of thing. And now you get a just in the trenches all night long, just blow for blow game. That was, like I said, maybe boring to some to watch, but kind of a nail biter in the sense, like I said, you were waiting for one big play, one team to step up, make a mistake. And I mean, like I said, no one really made a mistake. No one really had, again, the Patriots, the Harris run, nobody had a phenomenally huge play. Like it was one of those weird games that, you kind of, I don't know, come away from and you feel good about, I guess. Yeah. Cause that was to win, but you know what I'm getting at. It's a yeah. very strange game watching it. Like, again, I still can't wrap my head around the fact that the Patriots ran the ball 46 times. Buffalo did nothing to stop it until like the final two drives of the game. And still like, like I said, couldn't figure anything out. It seemed like. Yeah. It, there's just so much to talk about. Um, mm. Yeah. Do you want to get us going? Yeah, you, I was going to say you segued it well, so we'll start with the studs and duds. Uh, starting with my number third, maybe surprising to some because I know you have the other of the two running backs that had a good game, but I'm going to go with Ramondre Stevenson. Uh, had a great game, maybe a little overshadowed by that uh, big run from Damian Harris, but Stevenson, 24 rushes, 78 yards, uh, 3.3 on average, 11 yards was his longest run. Played more snaps than Damian Harris. I think he obviously had to when Harris went out late with the, uh, the hamstring injury. Maybe a little bit of a precautionary thing because Harris obviously played well. Stevenson was playing well. Uh, as well. Uh, Bolden ran the ball well too. So maybe you could give Harris a little bit of a break, but I thought Stevens, you know, had a really, really solid game. It seemed like even my dad said it watching the game when I got home from work with him. Uh, it seemed like there were multiple plays where the holes got swallowed up. And then a second later, you'd see Stevenson squirt through for a five or six yard game when it looked like it was going to be one or two. He just ran hard all night. Uh, there was a stat. I think Evan Lazar had it. He finished with nine of the Patriots, 13, uh, Patriots running backs, 13 missed tackles on the game. So obviously that was huge from him. We're just seeing it week and week, time and time again. Stevenson continues to build on a strong rookie case. I have stats that we'll get to a little later on. When we wrap up the Patriots stuff that shows just how good of a one-two punch Harris and Stevenson has been. And uh, maybe a claim that I want to make that the Patriots two or three years down the road might have the best one-two running back punch in football. If these two guys can stay healthy, I don't think that's too crazy of a thing, the way they're trending. Uh, but like I said, we'll get to that, those stats that might help that case in a little bit. Um, just a great game again from Stevenson when, again, you really needed the running backs to step up because that was the game plan and he did. Yeah, absolutely. Is I don't think there's any stat that Evan Lazar doesn't tweet out. So it doesn't seem like it. That's what I mean. It's very easy to find stats from this game. You just go to his Twitter page and just scroll down the timeline for about five to 10 minutes and you get pretty much everything you need. Yeah, it's it's astonishing um the guy just goes on a rampage for like three hours after <laughs> seems like the yeah. day after um each game for my number three side i had adrian phillips uh two pass deflections of five tackles fifth highest graded patriot on the team with a 76.9 rating which is just awesome Ran made two. some really timely plays um especially in a close game like these timely plays stick out um yeah he was just really good and he just been awesome for the majority of his Patriots career and it's nice to see him keep it up in a in a hostile weather type of game and you know a tough game to you know maybe show out in for some guys but the Patriots mm-hmm. had plenty um that did and he was one of them absolutely he is on my honorable mentions list because I could not find there was so many standout performances I could not and you had him so obviously that's good um but I could not put him on my list because I had a couple of the guys that stood out to me uh, um big thing with Phillips too I feel like I 
I don't know if you saw anything different, if they heard anything different on what his injury was at the end of the game. Obviously, the Patriots kind of dodged, I feel like, big injuries with him and then obviously Matt Judon, who went down late in that game as well. Uh, but just a little weird situation. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. That Because like I said, I was watching it with my dad. We saw it when they came back from commercial. Phillips was down holding, was it his leg or whatever it was? We're like, how the hell did he get hurt? He made that play on Knox in the end zone and then celebrated, walked away perfectly fine. And then, like I said, we came back from commercial and he was – down holding his leg and like I said Patriots kind of seems like avoided a pretty big injury which would have been a pretty big loss with obviously not having Duggar for that game yeah um I didn't really I honestly didn't even remember the Phillips injury to be honest <laughs> like seeing okay. him come back yeah so I can't really mm-hmm. add much to that but no yeah sadly but yeah that's, that's just how it is um yeah. duds you on the dud side of things a guy that is pretty much been a staple to the duds list. Uh, if you had to pick kind of nitpicky one thing here, uh, I didn't think Dante Hightower had a great game. Once again, did have seven tackles, uh, no quarterback hits, no sacks, one hurry, one pressure played the majority of the defensive snaps played 44 from that comes up to 76%. Uh, and the passing game again, we'll thank Evan Lazar for this. Cause like you said, he's a madman when it comes to stats, uh, Hightower, when uh, targeted was five of five, 41 yards allowed. That was the most for any Patriot defender uh, rating of hundred point eight. Didn't have any pass breakups. Had a bad horse collar. I know that obviously wasn't for the, if it wasn't for the horrendous weather conditions, that horse collar may have loomed larger than it did, obviously, because that was on the drive where Buffalo comes down that Bass misses the 33-yard field goal. Uh, but that that horse collar tackle sets up first and six on New England six. If this is a different game, if Josh Allen's maybe allowed to throw the ball, not allowed to, but is able to throw the ball a little bit more, or maybe Buffalo has some sort of run attack that would strike fear into a defense maybe they punch that ball in and we got a different ball game like I said even if they don't and they get the field goal from Bass it's a 14-13 game with still seven and a half minutes to go they got the ball back one more time so they very well easily could have made that a game just kind of a dumb play from a veteran guy that I feel like should know better like you know the guy's going out of bounds you don't have to ride him out like he did and just not a great play from Hightower and again it it sticks out because there wasn't a ton of things to complain about in this game on either side of the ball for the Patriots. Yeah, we talk so much about situations where, like, the Patriots are up big and there's a mistake, or they win big, rather, and there's a mistake. You're like, oh, it, like, doesn't really stand out that much, though, because it didn't, like, drastically affect the team. This could have, so it stands out more. Luckily for him, too, he made up for it with, you know, seven tackles, a hurry of pressure. So, you know, it's not like he was irrelevant, but, yeah, not a great look for Dante Hightower. Uh, my number three dud is Josh McDaniels because – just an interesting one i was a little surprised when i saw this on your list i just thought he had some weird like you know types of runs he called i thought you know there was one play in particular i think it was third and 12 when it was like 11 to 7 in the third quarter and he ran the ball which i you know i think you can afford to make it four or like whatever but would have been the third or fourth pass attempt at that point Mm -hmm just to try and extend the drive, but I don't know. I just, it wasn't a great, you know, there weren't a ton of standouts for duds and I just, you know, felt like it was worth mentioning that some of the decisions, you know, here and there um, were questionable from Josh McDaniels for me. So I'm going to give him a little bit of blame here. I mean, I won the game, so. True. That's what I mean. It's not too much to complain about. I could kind of see that though. Cause I mean, they were, I'm with you. There were a couple moments, especially late in the game, that, like you said, maybe there were some plays that maybe you could have let Jones air it out once or twice, but I mean, they clearly didn't want to. They they thought, I mean, it obviously was the run game was working, so you stick with it. Um, there were a couple runs throughout the game. I think there were a couple of 
pitch plays that didn't really work out that they kept going back to. Obviously, you kind of have to give different looks. And they didn't really seem to give a bunch of different looks. From what I heard, it was like three or four of the same run plays, just to different sides of the line. Um, so maybe a little bit more diversity there if you really want to nitpick stuff. But there was was the Patriots' second-to-last drive or third-to-last drive when they were trying to kill clock. Then, then they decided to throw the football. So that was kind of a, a moment where it was like, okay, what are you doing? Like, you need to run a clock here, and now you're – you're throwing it. I think it was the second to last drive. Cause yeah, it was, there was an incomplete pass to Nelson Aguilar that stopped the clock. And then they made a pass to Bolden that ended up going for seven yards. But like at that point in the game, there's six, five minutes left. Like that's, I think a point where you should be trying to kill clock. And then they decide to throw it. Like that was a little, little strange timing for me. I don't know if you felt the same way or if that was kind of the point you were trying to make with McDaniels or not, but I could kind of see some, some strange decision makings at times from him to get him on the duds list for you. Yeah. I mean, I agree. So you're not gonna. You're not gonna get a differing opinion from me there. Yeah, right. Fair enough. Uh, oh, back on the studs. Strange. Yeah, just a couple moments. Uh, on the stud side of things, once again, we'll go back to them. Number two, I have Devon Godshaw. I thought it was, and you're gonna agree with me a little later on to spoil it. Um, so I apologize for that, but I feel like you can echo these points as well. I thought it was arguably his best game of his season, maybe even of his career, 10 tackles. I think that was a career high when I was reading up on it. Five run stuffs, one pressure. Um, so differing, I don't know if these are differing stats, same stats, depending on how you look at it, but Evan Lazar, uh, just letting people know now who's listening, we're going to go to him a lot in this show because, again, you said it, he's the, the, the stat wizard when it comes to stuff like this. Uh, Evan Lazar had him for 90.4 run defense. That was uh, per pro football focus. Ryan Spagnoli had him. Uh, for a team high 86.5 pro football focus grade. I don't know if those two things are similar, if it's differing, depending on what the stats are, but just a huge game from Godshaw. I thought at times, and I'm not saying this is to, to, to knock any Patriots down, but it kind of seemed like he was like the main guy when it came to stopping the run. Like there were a couple of times where he just ate up whoever was in the backfield for Buffalo. And I feel like he was a main factor in why they weren't able to run the football. Maybe the way they wanted to, if they even wanted to, because they, I mean, they threw the ball 30 times with, with Josh Allen. So that had to be in the play call to some degree, but I thought he was, like I said, a main factor in why they couldn't run the football and just was a huge presence throughout the game up the middle. Yeah. I think he set the tone early on with a couple nice plays mm-hmm. um, for the defense. Uh, yeah. I mean, gotta be the best game of his career um, was really highly graded across the board uh, for PFF with those two different grades you had mentioned um yeah spoiler i mean i have him for my number one stud he was just awesome like uh with those 10 tackles six were six were just regular tackles four assists second highest graded patriot on the team uh yeah he was just awesome he made some great plays early on and was pretty consistent throughout the whole game so mm-hmm. nice to see him step up um So, yeah, that's my number one stud, spoiler alert. And my number two stud is Damian Harris because I just had to, you know, in such a close game where he, you know, had that huge touchdown run. I think it was 64 yards, just a massive difference maker. I had to put him on my studs list. Um, Ten carries for 111 yards, a touchdown and a fumble, which isn't great, uh, but everything else is pretty good. Damian Harris was a huge reason why they won this game. Yeah, he was phenomenal. Again, like I said, it's it it stinks to see him go out with a hamstring injury. I think the Patriots maybe dodge a bullet there with now having the bye week. He gets an extra week of rest, so that'll obviously help him a ton. Because, like I said, if you can have him and Stevenson as your one-two punch, we've seen it all season pretty much going forward completely healthy. You're going to be in really good shape just for the playoff stretch and then obviously getting into and maybe making a run in the playoffs. We'll see what happens. Um, back to – I'm trying to figure out how I want to do this because there's – 
I kind of cheated for my duds and I also kind of cheated for my studs. I don't know if you want to finish out uh, your duds because obviously, like you said, your number one stud was God's chest. We don't have to go back to that. Um, I can go to my number one stud. We can do your two and uh, one duds and then we'll do my two and one duds because they kind of go hand in hand and then I didn't get a discussion from me a little bit, but I'll do my number one stud. I thought that kind of, again, kind of cheating. I had the entire offensive line because I just couldn't pick one guy. Obviously, you said it both the offensive and defensive line may have had their most, most complete game of the season. Uh, so I decided to go with the offensive line. Cause when you run, you run for over 200 plus yards, you're going to get that. Uh, so a lot of stats from Evan Lazar here that kind of just showed how good the offensive line as a whole was. Uh, and then one thing I didn't really realize until the end of the game, I missed kind of the first half it was in and out of work. Um, but I'll get to it in a second. Uh, so from Evan Lazar, this was from his advanced stats article you can find on Twitter on his account if people want to go more in depth on it. Uh, for the offensive line for the Patriots, the Pats gained 78 yards uh, before contact on the ground. They had played played six offensive linemen for over 60% of their offensive snaps, 34 out of 40 runs, excluding the kneel downs at the end and quarterback sneaks were gap or man blocking play. So that obviously a huge factor for the offensive line there. Per pro football focus, Trent Brown had a 92.1 run blocking grade. David Andrews finished with a 78.7. Isaiah Wynn, good game for Isaiah Wynn, um, 76.8, all graded with above average grades. Offensive line helped the Patriots running backs average 5.5 yards per carry and eight runs over 10 plus yards. The crazy thing, like I mentioned, uh, like I said, I was in and out of it at work, so I thought maybe I missed one or two. I didn't know until the end of the game. They didn't commit a single penalty for the entire game. John U. Smith had a holding penalty. I don't know if you, you really wouldn't consider him part of the offensive line. Um, but to me, that's just crazy. You run the ball 46 times. You don't have a single hold and legal hands to the face, anything like that type of penalty is just baffling to me. And I think that obviously shows how disciplined, obviously how disciplined the Patriots offensive line was and just how great of a game plan they had that you don't make one little slip up here or there. And it didn't really affect them at all throughout the game. Yeah, it's pretty insane when you put the, their performance as a whole in perspective with these stats. Um, again, it's one of those things that sticks out even more in such a close game. You're going to need your offensive line to be on the top of their game, and they were. So the fact that they didn't commit a penalty the entire game, like I can't think of a time I've ever heard a football team in general ever I mean. do that on the O-line. Um, I mean, it's just a master class by them. It's you know a master class by Belichick, making sure they're prepared. Um, it's just unbelievable stuff. And yeah, I mean, excluding the John U. Smith uh, holding penalty, which is rough. Unbelievable. Just, excuse me. Just, yeah, unbelievable. It's crazy. It's so crazy. Another adjective. In amazement. Um, yeah. Like, just even thinking more about it now, like, there wasn't a chance. I mean, I, I don't want to say it wasn't because it's never an easy night, but like, I don't know. It, I, just kind of lost my train of thought trying to figure it out. Like the point I was trying to make is it seemed like throughout the night, like there wasn't really one play where Buffalo was like in the backfield. Like nobody, it seemed like missed a block badly or like out of the quarterback or like was in on the backfield to have like a five or six yard run stuff. Like they seemed to all together. And like I said, they played an extra offensive lineman for the majority of the game, which is something the Patriots, I feel like don't tend to do. So that was a different look. Um, having Isaiah Wynn come in, not Isaiah Wynn, having uh, Michael and who come in a couple times as the extra lineman. But just kind of crazy that like there really wasn't obviously like I said with no penalties no massive screw-ups in this game where it kind of had the, the team going back in the wrong direction which is just crazy to think of yeah really was um 
So where are we at now? Your number two dud, and then we'll. I think we should both do our because I have kind of a one B one A that, yeah, that I want to get your thoughts on because this has been debated as well. You have the same number one dud as I have, so we'll go with your number two to start, and then we'll jump back into it. Yeah, my number two dud was Dietrich Wise. I didn't even pick up on this during the game, but he really just didn't do much at all. He just registered one tackle the whole game. Mm-hmm. Just kind not great. Uncharacteristic. Yeah, it was a little weird. Um, I don't have a snap count. Maybe he just didn't play a ton of snaps, and I just didn't I realize it. For you right now, uh, Dietrich Wise played uh, 25 defensive snaps. That was for 43% of the snaps on defense. So he's out there a decent yeah. amount. I wouldn't say half the time, but. So still not great, but, you know, mm-hmm. not also not a ton of snaps, but. It's another it's another case where there wasn't a bunch of standout duds. So um, exactly, it's one of the things you like. You this is a reasonable more, one. But, mm-hmm, I think so. Uh, the number one, I think, is a consensus. Like I said, I have kind of a one B one A situation or one A one B situation, uh, depending on who you blame for this. Um, of course, if you watch the game, there was one baffling moment and a couple baffling moments. Thank God he didn't have to field any of the other punts or kicks that were sent his way. Uh, but Nikhil Harry got tested out as a punt returner in the game for some reason, and it did not work well. Obviously, the Bills were able to score their one touchdown off a muffed punt from Nikhil Harry. So I have Harry as my one B for you know what exactly were you trying to do on that punt return? Are you trying to field it? Did you not want to go after it? Like if you weren't going to go after it, just run straight ahead. So you get the hell out of the way of it. Don't just stand there. So it bounces off your face mask. And then you pull a Cam Newton and don't go after the ball afterwards. Um, and then my one a was, cause again, like I said, I've heard this argument been made, you know, Nikhil Harry shouldn't have been out there in the first place. So you kind of put the blame on whoever that was. So that's going to be my one a as well. Like I said, I kind of cheated for these studs and duds this week. Um, my one a being whoever the hell's decision it was to put him back there in the first place. I don't know if you want to blame Bill Belichick. If you want to blame maybe Josh McDaniels said something that maybe we should have Nikhil back there to, to field punts. I don't know if you blame the special teams coaches. I had to look up who they were. Uh, so maybe Cameron Accord or Chord or assistant special teams coach Joe Houston, uh, maybe they get some blame. How do you feel about this? Are you, I feel like you kind of, you, you gave your answer away in your number with your number one dud being Harry. Um, but do you blame Harry? Do you blame the coaching staff for trusting him in the first place to, to have him back there? Cause it's not like Olszewski didn't play. He was up front blocking for some reason on the, the muff punt that Harry had. I feel like if you were going to run that play again, why wouldn't you switch those two guys? Like you've probably been doing all season. Yeah, I'm giving 50-50 because, like, he shouldn't have even been back there. Mm-hmm. And he effed up. So you have to give 50-50 blame here. It's just, it's just one of those things, especially when you're on a six-game winning streak, if you lose largely because of that, oh, my God. Like, people would people would. Well, just think of it in hurt. the sense – I was, like, was talking to my dad about it after the game. Like, think of it in the sense of if that doesn't happen – the Bills end up with what three points? They couldn't get the ball. It seemed like past the Patriots forty. Like they didn't really get a whole lot of chances to score. Obviously, they missed the field goal late in the game, and then they had the play at the end of the game. Obviously, where uh, Brian makes the knockdown to end it. But other than that, they, we just we kind of mentioned it. Their offense was dormant throughout the game. They couldn't run the ball at all. The Patriots that again we talked about in the preview makes the Bills one dimensional, and they ended up being one dimensional in that game. Harry doesn't muff that punt that puts him on the 14 yard line. Like they may not score the entire game minus the field goal, of course, early, but yeah, it just, it could have been a huge difference maker. Thank God it wasn't. Mm -hmm. It's just, 
a horrible situation. And the thing that makes it like so annoying too is it it barely hit his helmet. Like that's what I mean. It oh. Well, I was like I said, was watching it at work, and I was going back and forth with a friend of mine. Like I'm like, he's like, oh, I didn't hit him. I'm like, yeah, that just barely grazed off his face mask. And then coming back watching, he's like, oh, you're right, that fucking. And he's a big to kill Harry supporter. We've talked about. I've mentioned Colby a bunch. I he, I, for the life of me, have no idea. He still thinks there's some talent with him. He still thinks this. He's got to do something. But the funny part was after that came back and. Cause he was like, Oh, he's going to be fine. It's the Patriots ball. As soon as it came back overturned, he walked back into our break room. He goes, that's it. His ass needs to be cut. I'm like, yep. I've been telling you that for two years, man. Like I'm glad you're finally on the, then the kill here. He needs to go bandwagon. Brutal. Just brutal. I, was, um, I think too. I've, I've, I was going to say Zolak, I think had the best comment. I think he was either on the broadcast or the next day, like in Bertrand where he mentioned something like, I don't know why, the guy can't catch football strong to him normally. Like, why would you put him back to fill the punt in the gusty and windy conditions that it was? I saw Mike Reese tweeted he returned nine punts for 152 yards and a touchdown in his senior year at Arizona State. I don't know if that factored into it at all, but it's just something that he tweeted out that I thought was interesting. I didn't even know he was a punt returner at all in college, but just stupid. Like, it's a lesson to never do it again, which mm-hmm. is good. Um just one last thing it says and does for me, my honorable mention um, was Miles Bryant made, you know, a big one big play in particular early on. I forget who was against, but then the big play at the end, three tackles, two, um, two assists for five combined tackles and a pest deflection. Just another undrafted free agent corner chipping in. So something to, in the water with that position, like little guys that you wouldn't think anything of. Between him, Brian, uh, yeah, him and Brian, him, uh, obviously, J.C. Jackson. Uh, why can't I think of Malcolm Butler? Like something about that position or the undrafted cornerback position that seems to work out well for the Patriots. Something, something's up. It's wonderful. I like it though. Yep. For my honorable mentions, like I said, I had a couple. Uh, I had uh, Adrian Phillips, like I mentioned, you had him, so obviously good to get some reps there. J.C. Jackson, I thought, had another great game. Diggs really only had that one nice catch down the sideline against him, uh, that back shoulder throw, which was maybe the best throw of the night from any quarterback. Um, played a really solid game. I think Diggs finished with like two or three catches, and that's about it. Um, and then Matt Judon, of course, got to give Matt Judon some credit as well. Got a sack, was in on a couple plays late that kind of rattled um, Josh Allen, it seemed like. The other real quick thing I wanted to mention about – uh, the Nikhil Harry situation, because I was waiting to see if Bill Belichick, and of course he didn't give any sort of answer, but the answer he did give, I thought was kind of funny um, when he was asked about the decision to have Harry back there. And he just answered it by saying that that's something we'll have to go over on film like that. Bill, that doesn't explain why he was back there in the first place. Like, did I, I wish he would have given, given some sort of realistic answer, but we know Bill Belichick and he's not going to do that. Um, so I guess maybe we'll never know why you have your worst wide receiver on your team back there and the worst condition game you've played in five plus years. Like what, what the hell the, the plan was there? I don't know if it was yeah, like to psych out the bills or something, or just kind of throw a different look at Buffalo and maybe get them thinking like, what the hell's going to happen Attempted here? a classic but prank. Maybe that's would have been the prank of the century. If Nikhil Harry actually filled it a punt and did something with it, but. I like, I, mean, I, I don't want to. I'm never ever going to watch the replay of that. Every end of my life. No. 
And I mean, I can't, I feel like we can't crap on a Kale Harry too much. Cause I mean, he was good yeah, the, uh, again in the run. We can, but I mean, he was, he had his moments in the run game where he, you know, blocked pretty well. Again, I don't understand why we, I think we talked about this last week when defense to see him go out there, why they, and again, it, it, it comes to how Buffalo couldn't stop the run in this game. Um, why can't you just sell out for the run whenever you see Nikhil Harry go out there? Like, you know, it's going to be a run play. If one's on the field, he doesn't catch the football. So it's most likely going to be a run in his direction. I don't know why teams can't seem to figure that out for some reason, but if teams are going to continue to be stupid, I'm not going to complain too much other than right now. And I'll, I'll take the, the, the idiot, the uh, idiot mode from whoever they're playing. <laughs> Same here. Mm-hmm. Have you ever wanted to start your own podcast? Well, Anchor FM might be just what you need to do so. It's a free podcast distribution platform with creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer if you wish to do so. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more other platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. And it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started right now. But some other notes from this game, because again, there were a little, there were some talking points, uh, mainly from some of the stuff that was said after the game that I wanted to get your thoughts on. Uh, the big question that I wanted to ask you, because like I said, I've heard it been talked about a couple of times. Is this more of an utter dominance performance from the Patriots being able to, like I said, have the great game plan of sticking to the run 46 times and, and, you know, being able to pressure Josh Allen again. And Evan Lazar had a good start, a stat where he said the Pats pressured Allen on, over 32% of his passing plays in the pass rush and all Allen was 0 for 7 on pass attempts while under pressure. I thought the the play they dialed up at the end where they blitzed, uh, Don, uh, not Dante Hightower, Devin McCourty at the end that led to the errant pass that ended up going off of Brian's hands was a great play call, kind of reminiscent of that Rams Super Bowl play where it had the Gilmore pick that ended things. Um, so is this, you know, more so utter dominance from the Patriots or just complete ineptitude from Buffalo? We discussed it, like how, I don't, I still after sitting here and sitting on this game and thinking about it for two or three days, how the bills, like I said, let you rush for over 200 yards and don't really do anything to adjust for it. And like I said, until the final two drives where they kind of shut the run down and the Patriots really didn't need to run the ball at that point. Like it's just crazy to me. So your, your thoughts on this, do you did, I don't want to say that the Pats win it more more than the bills lost that are like, have that type of question. Cause I think that's not really, this doesn't apply here. Um, but your kind of just thoughts overall and you know, how the bills approach this game, how the Pats approach this game, your thoughts. I think it's a little bit of both, but I'm giving more so to the domination for the Pats because I okay. think <clears throat> my dad said this, and then I saw a lot of people saying it on Twitter. A lot for a lot of this game, it was Belichick just waiting for the Bills to make mistakes. It wasn't Seemed him like just it. driving it down their throats all the time. Um, mm-hmm. It was methodical. It was clearly well thought out. This is a huge game. The lead up was intense. Prime time. Monday Night Football, he knows what it means for the division, for seeding, and all that jazz. And, you know, wanting some revenge from, you know, last year they struggled against the Bills. Getting swept by him, absolutely. And, I mean, he dominated. It was one of the best – I'd say it's the most unique coaching performance I've ever seen from Belichick in my life. I'd say so. It was was just so wild. This game was just so strange. And it was it was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it's it played right into Belichick's strengths. Like, I've heard that discussed a couple times this week that, like, if you can get him on, obviously focusing on what the, I think it was Burt Breed that brought up the point the other day when I was listening to him. Like, if you can get him focused on what's the one thing that's going to make us or have, have us win this game, and that was obviously rushing the ball 46 times against a team that didn't want to or know how to stop it, like, then Belichick was going to 
shine and show his dominance and make the Bills and Sean McDermott look, look like the fools. And the, the at this point, I again, I will admit I was completely wrong on the Bills, the, the spineless team that they are. Like I said, he, it blows my mind. I agree with you. It was I think this game shows way more about just the utter dominance of the Patriots and that they can pretty much win any way they want to or game plan. How like you'd be very curious to see how they, you know, game plan. I said it last night to my dad. I thought it'd be funny if the next time they play the Bills, they end up throwing the ball 40 times and like run it three times. But I don't think you should do that when the run works so well. Um, but yeah, I think this just shows more about the Patriots. They can win however they want to or think they need to. And the Bills just big time moments. It seemed like they're, they're going to crumble back. I'm curious to see how they respond against the Buccaneers in another tough game. Um, but yeah, I just, it, it, like I said, it blows my mind that they couldn't seem to make any sort of adjustments at all. Like I mentioned, the Pats seemed like ran three or four of the same run plays just to either the left or the right side or couldn't Buffalo couldn't stop it for some reason, which is appalling to me. Uh, yeah. Well, Sean McDermott was more focused on complaining. So he is, might be the biggest, I thought it was Harbaugh for the longest time, or maybe even a little bit of Tomlin, but I a hundred percent Sean McDermott is the biggest crybaby in just in the league. It, it's a, it's ridiculous that during the game, after the game, that we'll get into in a second. Like, it's, just, it's astonishing to me. Yeah, I mean, it's just obnoxious. It really is. Mm-hmm. I'd be so embarrassed to, you know, when Bill, my dad, this is another good point my dad brought up too. I was talking um, about this last night at dinner. Me, him, me, him, and my brother went out um, for a meal. He, like, Belichick, when Belichick gets pissed, it's for good reason. When, when guys like McDermott and Harbaugh get pissed, it's just like it comes off as very petulant. It doesn't with Belichick. It comes off like they know they're – and, again, the comments, I think, from McDermott after the game back it up. I think it comes off that they know they're being outcoached. And, it, again, you have to get frustrated watching your team give up 200-plus yards and get run on 46 times. I think they, what was the stat they gave out on the broadcast? The Patriots ran the ball like 33 times in a row or something. Like, that's unheard of. Again, I don't know how you don't make one play to stop that, but I think that's kind of where the his aggravation, his pettiness and crybabiness comes from. Is he he knows he's getting like circles coached around him on the other sideline, and there's nothing he can do about it. So he's yeah. just gonna bitch to bitch and hope something, you know, hopefully he gets a flag here and there that goes his way and maybe changes the the tide of the game, but it just didn't happen and it shouldn't. It, his bitch into the ref, should, like I said, should not factor into the game plan at all, and it didn't. And I think like kind of to your point too, I think Bill, it kind of goes hand in hand with maybe the bill bills waiting for Buffalo to, to make a mistake. I think he's just waiting to the point where he gets under McDermott's skin. Cause then it's all over. Yeah. That's, that's really it. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's gotta be annoying for bills fans. I can't imagine bills fans like are like content with it. Like seeing their coach act like that, that would just be kind of tough to watch. No, I wouldn't be able to stand for it two or three weeks in the one other quick before we jump on, cause obviously that was going to be a good segue to jump into his comments. And then I think kind of the, the comments that uh, both safeties, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde made that kind of just showcase that the bills have taken on the, the mantra of their head coach being a crybaby. Um, the one funny thing I, I talked to you about before we jumped on that I found kind of humorous. I was all the people talking about, you know, if Mac Jones maybe was okay with only throwing the ball three times. Just people's thoughts on, you know, what, what Mac Jones maybe thought about the game plan, only having him throw it three times. Like, I didn't, I don't know if you had any overarching thoughts about that. Cause I thought that was kind of stupid that like, I doubt Mac Jones cares as long as he got the win. Like I found it funny. I don't know if you heard Matt Judon's comment that, you know, he was giving props to everyone 
uh, except for Mac Jones, because Jones didn't really do anything in that game, which I found, again, kind of funny. Matt Judon, uh, great player for this team. But, yeah, your thoughts on just any of the talk that, oh, maybe Mac Jones didn't, like, appreciate only throwing the ball three times with the game plan or whatnot? It's it's a non-story. Like, <laughs> that's what, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, that's, it's just nonsense. It really is. Mm-hmm. It's just, it doesn't catch my eye. No. All right. Just like I said, I, found I thought it was I thought it was funny how Mac Jones like didn't big time Peyton Manning, but he's like the one quarterback that hasn't, you know, talked to Peyton Manning. And that's mm-hmm. setting you see that he just he kind of was like talking about like, oh, you have to talk like I think you have to talk to like our PR person or something. And mm-hmm. then that didn't work out. And it's funny. <laughs> Excuse me. You good. Yep. Good. All right. Yeah, so like I said, there was uh, we kind of alluded to with the McDermott stuff, uh, the the bitching, complaining from Poyer and Hyde. Like I said, I, I think this, I think this this shows. I said at the top of the show that I think the Patriots once again have killed the team, and I think the Bills' reign of eleven month dominance is, if you even call it dominance, is over. Uh, I think it's it's clear cut after what happened after this game, because like I said, it was a a lot of the talking points I feel like came from after this game than during it. Obviously, we we discussed that there were some big moments in this game, um, but Sean McDermott, like I mentioned kind of decided to throw everybody except for himself under the bus. Some interesting comments from him. Obviously the big one was him trying to discredit Bill Belichick, uh, the Patriots from winning this game. Of course, the comment, if people haven't seen it, he said, quote, let's not give more credit than we need to give credit to Bill Belichick for this one, whether it was Bill or anybody else, they beat us. Right. Uh, But you sit there, you tell me when we start with an average of our average starting field position of the 40 yard line. And he starts with the 23 yard line and we were one for four in the red zone and they were zero for one in the red zone. You give me that ahead of time. I'd like my chances. All right. I'd say I like my chances. I can't wrap my head unless I'm missing something. I can't wrap my head around the, the field position comment. Cause if you look at like I have here in the outline and if people go and look at the game book and just, it, it shows you the, where the Patriots started each of their 10 drives, where Buffalo started each of their 10 drives. Like, like I said, unless I'm missing something, uh, Buffalo had better field position on every drive that they started on, except for one. I think it was the Patriots. Yeah, the Patriots third drive, they started on their own 31. Buffalo started on their own 25. So the Pats had better field position, obviously there. Um, I don't know if you can take something away from that comment. Like, I don't know why he has to bring up the field position because Buffalo had better field position the entire night and didn't do anything with it, except for the, like we said, the gift that Nikhil Harry gave them. Um, so I don't know if you had any comments or any thoughts on kind of that complaint or what that even would be a complaint about. It's a reach. That's what like, I, yeah, that's the thing is too. Like if you're saying, Oh, it's not give Bill Belichick a lot of credit. Well, you lost to the guy that you don't want to give a lot of credit to. So that like, was a that lot of people's point like too. Yep. Exactly. Head. That's I think Felger said that today too when I was listening to them. He said the reason it might have been Maz, um, but they that was the reason they said is this, as soon as people start giving Bill Belichick, then it becomes a, a conversation like we just had of Bill Belichick just completely coaching circles around McDermott. He doesn't want that because he doesn't want to look bad. Um, but then when you make a comment like this and you come off as like I said, a whiny little crybaby, um, you're gonna look like exactly that. So I don't know. I found it kind of interesting. Uh, some of the other comments that kind of stood out, he kind of threw his offensive coordinator, Brian Dable under the bus. Um, and then I didn't see this one until after the game, the day after the game talking about his two punt returners and Isaiah McKenzie's uh, kind of interesting comment. He had back about it. Um, first on the Dable stuff, he was asked about Dable was quote, doing a good enough job to set the offense up for success. And uh, McDermott followed that up with a uh, quote. Well, I don't didn't think honestly we took advantage of our opportunities tonight. I don't know if you can put that all on Dable because I feel like you're the head coach of the football team. If you don't like something he's calling, you could 
could make your own decision. You could tell Josh uh, Allen what to do. I think they should, like I said earlier, they probably should have ran Josh Allen a little more. I think McDermott probably could have, if he wanted to do that, step in and maybe, like I said, overtake Dayball's decision, um, but clearly didn't. And that worked out in the Patriots' favor. And then the stuff on the punt returners, what I found kind of interesting. And like I said, McKenzie had a, a comment back to it. Uh, McDermott was asked about why uh, Isaiah McKenzie and Marquez Stevenson, usually the two Buffalo Bills punt returners, why they were both enacted for the game. He said, quote, the same reason that they turned it over uh, being the Patriots, that they turned it over on their punt return. I wasn't willing to do that. I wanted to pick uh, to put a guy back there that I trusted that was going to make good decisions with the ball. Then McKenzie, like I said, saw that on Twitter, commented just straight up damn. So I think that kind of shows too the, the cracking of this Buffalo team that I don't know why two guys that you've had return the ball all season on punts, why you wouldn't trust them in this game. I don't know if McDermott saw something that maybe you and I maybe wouldn't think of obviously being the head coach, different stances there, but any thoughts on those two comments, you think kind of there's a little bit of unraveling starting to happen with Buffalo. Cause like I said, there's some people that think this team is behind closed doors, maybe starting to come a little unhinged with, uh, with this loss to the Patriots. Yeah, there's a whole lot going on. Um, a whole lot of finger pointing, it seems like, and I feel like the one finger that should be pointed is should be pointing back at Sean McDermott for all the stuff that's going on. Yeah, that's like, really what it comes down to. Like, seems like it. Reel it in. This all shouldn't be happening at once. And then you have the stuff with Porter and Hyde, which we'll get to. Yeah, we can jump right into that because, like I said, if you missed the, the post-game interviews, uh, Porter and Hyde had an interesting little uh, run-in with one of the Buffalo – uh, media members after the game, they were asked about, you know, if it was embarrassing getting run on as badly as they did, uh, which I don't know if you feel differently. I don't know if there was some people I saw that took not a problem, but, you know, thought maybe embarrassing should have been taken out for a different word. I thought it was a totally normal and justified question. Like you should be embarrassed getting uh, rushed on for 250 plus yards. Like it happened or whatever the number was. Um, but instead of answering the question, just normally and justified Porter and I decided to kind of turn it on the reporter and, you know, talk about you know respecting them and you know it was a dumb question why that would even be asked I don't know why they would even have a problem with that I mean maybe tensions are high just coming off a loss um I think that was one of the arguments I saw for it or for Porter and Hyde's reaction which again I I think is stupid um I don't know if you feel any different if you're in the the corner of both safeties if you're in the corner of the porter if you know maybe they thought you thought he should have asked the question differently or just kind of your overall thoughts on that? Or does this fall back into uh, McDermott starting to lose the team and, you know, they're taking on the, the bitchiness of their head coach? I think it's just emotions. And I think, I think the problem I have from the reporter's side is like, I get it because he said, is it embarrassing? Mm-hmm. He could have said like, Oh, what do you guys think you could have done better? And they That's probably fair. wouldn't have gotten pissed. That's like, it's not like a, huge like thing I'm like coming at the reporter for but mm-hmm. yeah I don't know I think it could have been worded differently I think timing had something to do with it like I said I think it was somebody said it was just after they came off the field or just after they got into the locker room so like I said tension's kind of running high the loss is still on their mind but it's not like I don't know who the reporter even was it's not like he was like oh you guys suck tonight defensively what, what was the problem out there like I, I like I said I think embarrassing is a fine word to use. Like you should be embarrassed. Like I mentioned, you give up 200 plus yards on the ground. And like I said, whatever the stat was 33 or 34 straight runs, you couldn't stop it. Like you couldn't make any sort of adjustment to stop any sort of run. Like I would have understood more if the Pats ran it for like a loss of two or a loss of three, but it seemed like it was like four, five, six yards, every single run they had. So like, that's, that to me, I feel like is the definition of embarrassing, especially when you're not going to do anything to change it or you, you can't do anything to change it. 
Um, so I, I didn't have a problem with the, the way their question was asked. I think Hyde and Poyer kind of freaked out over nothing. Like it, 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 it to me, I, you know, I will always kind of go back to two. It's, it's your part of your job to answer these questions. Like I said, unless the reporter is like saying you guys stunk out there, like it was a horrendous performance, like then maybe you have a gripe, but other than that, I, I don't yeah, it's, I don't it's, see a problem. It's not like it's like a Nathan McKinnon situation last that year. That was what Adrian, I was going to ask you because I was going to say that. stupid question or when Jake Voracek went bananas last year. Yep, that was the other one I could I was going to ask you that afterwards after you got your point. I mean, that, like there was the Nathan McKinnon one is uh, – that question from Adrian Dater was astonishingly dumb. Mm-hmm. Like, not, there's never been anything like that that I can think of. Mm-hmm. Like – it's just mind-boggling to think about it. All these, mm. like, probably like eight months later. <sighs> My God, I just that was just insane. That, well, that's that right. uh, I remember for anybody two... seen that, go on YouTube and look up Adrian Dater, like Nathan McKinnon. You'll be able to find it somewhere. Like, well, I feel like the Vorchek one was worse, wasn't it? Wasn't he? I can't. A Vorchek can like attacked him. Swearing it, yeah. McKinnon was just like, "What the fuck, man!" Yeah. Like he didn't say that, but you could just like tell that's the, like the, the vibe he gave off. Like, what, are you serious? Like, but Voracek like attacked the guy. He's like, "You're just gonna write some fucking shit anyway." So like, that's what, what I mean. Yeah, was, like, yeah, dropping f bombs and yeah. There's two sides of this. There's the uh, two levels rather. There's the that's a clown question, bro. Level Bryce Harper, and then there's the level of f bombs and. Like you said, of Voracek, I feel like this kind of falls more towards the McKinnon and uh, the Bryce Harper level of like, what do you do when ask this question like that? But again, like I, I think it comes with a job. You don't have to, as the players, it's like a, it's like I said, go a Voracek route and just verbally attack the guy. But you could sit there and ask the question, like you said, just kind of be like, yeah, it stunk that we didn't perform well. Like we'll get it next time. But you didn't have to. Well, this is about respect, and I come here and respect like respectfully answer your questions that like buddy take it easy like again falls back into the case of you're taking on the mantra of your crybaby bitch of a head coach and the like i said the bill's reign is over i thought they were going to be to have at least two or three year window be good maybe squeak out a couple wins here and there against the patriots i thought this team would, would split with the patriots like i said when i texted you after the game i'm 100 percent with you i think the pats are going to win out now i just there's no one that stands in their way. Like maybe the Colts game will be tough, but we'll get into the Colts stuff when the game gets closer. Obviously we have the whole bye week to prepare for that. Um, but yeah, I just, the way they're going right now, I don't see Buffalo coming into New England, especially if they come off a loss to uh, the Bills, like uh, not the Bills, the, uh, the Bucks. like God forbid the Bucks blow them out in that game. Then I think you're really going to see a deflated Buffalo team coming into Gillette. Maybe you see a team that's fighting uh, for their, their playoff lives, but I don't know. Like things could get really ugly really quick for Buffalo if they don't figure some things out. Like, I just lost my train of thought. Sorry. Um, what was I gonna say? It's okay. Shit. It, it, this happens like once a week now. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Um, imagine if Miami was like playing as good as they are right now all season. Like the Bills well, would be. That's what I mean. Miami's kind of knocking on the door. Yeah, they're they're. One or two more wins, and they're right there with Buffalo. I was trying to figure that out with my dad last uh, Monday night. I'm like, if Buffalo loses to the Bucks, they're, what, 500 now or close to it, it be a game over. And then, I mean, I, they'll, they'll probably beat Carolina. Carolina stinks unless maybe Cam Newton can figure something out, and maybe if he's still playing at that point, maybe they lose to the 
the, the Panthers beat the Bills, then if Miami goes on a little bit of a run, you could have a very interesting last couple of weeks of the season with Miami and Buffalo kind of jockeying for a playoff spot. But yeah, that would be interesting if, you know, Miami started off hot and maybe they could have made some more noise and been right in there and, you know, have a, not a safer lead, but a better situation. You know what I'm getting at instead of trying now to make up for for lost time. Yeah. It's God. Can you imagine if Miami was like right neck and neck with the Patriots right now, that'd be something. That would be something. Absolutely. Well, then the other quick pass note, like I said, I wanted to just touch on, cause like I mentioned, I wanted to shine a light on, especially this game, obviously coming off of this game, how great Harris and Stevenson have been. Again, there were a lot of stats thrown around after the big performances from both guys to kind of discuss how great the Patriots one, two punch has been. And like I said, uh, a bold prediction that I'm, I'm ready to make right now that in two or three years, if these guys can both stay healthy, you're going to have the best one, two punch in football when it comes to the backfield. Uh, this is from pro football focus new england patriots on twitter said cool the patriots are the only team to have two running backs with 80 plus rushing grades this season damian harris 83.9 rushing grade that's eighth uh, best in the nfl and Ramondre stevenson 81.9 rushing grade that's 10th best uh, again from pro, pro football focus new england patriots on twitter uh, quote most 10 plus rushing most 10 plus rush i can't speak 10 plus yard rushes among running backs since week nine. Jonathan Taylor has 17. Nick Chubb and Ramondre Stevenson both have 12. Uh, so there's Stevenson up there again from Ryan Spagnoli on Twitter. Uh, per, per pro football focus, Stevenson 78.4 is the highest graded rookie running back, minimum 100 attempts. Uh, 317 is 428 rushing yards this season have come after contact, the Patriots found two backs that wear opposing defenses down in rounds three and four of the last three drafts, of course, talking about Damian Harris as well. And then from Doug Kyle on Twitter, said, quote, Patriots running back, rookie running back, Ramondre Stevenson since week nine, 82.9 pro football focus grade, that's third, uh, 0.28 missed tackles forced per rushing attempt, that's third best in the NFL, 3.4 yards after contact per attempt, that's 10th best, and 107.4 elusive rating, that is second best in the NFL. So like I said, just wanted to shine some light with all these stats. I know it was a lot of numbers thrown at people. Uh, just how great, if you haven't been paying attention, the uh, backfield of Harris and Stevenson has been. It's just nuts. And honestly, he's been good, but like I never would have guessed any of these stats. No, that's for sure. I mean, we we start with, with Harris a couple of years ago where they drafted him and what he was either on the practice squad or was like a special teams guy for the first, really the first, what 14 weeks of the season. He didn't really break out until the last two. didn't really get a ton of chances until his second year. So you're seeing it right away. It seemed maybe minus the first couple of games of the season. Cause obviously Stevenson had that fumble and then sat for a couple of weeks, but how he's been able to pick it up really since that first mistake and has just taken the role he's given and just ran with it. No pun intended. Like he's, it's been great. Yeah. Gotta love it. Hmm. any more uh football thoughts no like i said that's just kind of well obviously the bye week is coming so we will discuss the upcoming colts game next week when obviously we have more stuff to talk about and maybe there's some some guys that could get cleared up of injuries and we'll have some more stuff to talk about and maybe maybe some more playoff implications and we'll see who's kind of jockeying around here and there for the nfl when when time comes yep definitely um hockey 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 Bruins um we don't have a lot to talk about in terms of this past week because they only played two games since our last show um but it's still the thing overshadowing the team right now not overshadowing but like lurking is the you know future of Jake DeBrusque we haven't you know heard a ton 
since his trade request, but um, we're hearing a little bit, you know, here and there, especially early on, but nothing crazy as of late. Besides Dom Tiano coming out and saying he's hearing that St. Louis is no longer interested. They were once believed to be the most interested team. I'm not sure what the landscape looks like now, but other than that, we'll talk about that a little later. Uh, we have our game recaps and then looking ahead a little bit. Um, starting with the game against Nashville. In Nashville, the uh, Jeremy Swayman game, the best game of his career. Um, the Bruins moved to 12-8 and eight at this point with a 2-0 win. Jake DeBrusque with all the trade request stuff in the air. Barry's one of the power play to get the goal scoring started. Uh, Smith and Coyle have the helpers on that one. And then Brandon Carlo buries a uh, early third, not third period, second period goal, 30 seconds in from the point. Nice little point hammer. I love point hammers uh, to make it two nothing. And that's about it for the scoring. Not about it. It was it. Uh, Jeremy Swain made 42 saves with 42 shots for his first shot out of the season. Um, Jake DeBrus scores for the for the scouts. Eric Howla, um gets on the board with a point in his revenge game, if you will. Um, he only played one season with them. But, you know, revenge game. You know I love bringing up revenge games if you listen to the show enough. Um, the pressure was on Jeremy Swayman a little bit more with, you know, Linus Olmark dealing with a non-COVID illness at the time. He stepped up. Great to see him shine in the spotlight in a, a hostile building, arguably the loudest in the league. So, um, yeah, that was awesome. Did you catch the Nashville game at all? Do you see how Swayman just tore it up? I was not. I caught the highlights. Um, the one thing I was going to say is obviously we kind of talked a little bit about DeBrusque when the trade rumors came out last show, and you mentioned it. I can't remember what game it was exactly, but I think you said that he kind of came out, skated around for one shift, had a good start, and then was just kind of there at the end. Um, so that was kind of the point I wanted to bring up, that obviously good to see him get on the board and maybe, like you mentioned, kind of show up for the scouts and maybe just try to add something to his value. I'm glad he's kind of – obviously. I don't think he's going to mail it in completely. You and I kind of discussed that last week. Um, but just like I said, good to see him kind of come out and show something and maybe help himself sooner rather than later when it comes to a trade. Cause obviously the Bruins are starting to get a little healthier. Marshan's coming back. So maybe you see something on, on the brusque front start to be set in motion a little, a little quicker here than maybe it, it could have been because of, you know, the situation the Bruins were in a week ago. Yeah. Um, was, I lost my train of thought again. God damn it. I'm telling you, it's working all day too. I'm just, it just fries my brain at a certain point, even though we don't have like a super long show today. Let's just Mm -hmm. go to the Tampa game. Um, All right. It comes back to you. We'll discuss it. Yeah. This, this one was tough. This one was tough. Taylor Radish scores his first early on. I think a lot of people forget. I've, I've not this fact, but what I'm going to say after this, Um, I really like Taylor Radish. He's getting his first shot this year. I think a lot of people forget he uh, he was in the spotlight when he was in the OHL. He actually played on the same team as Connor McDavid, Alex DeBrinkett, and Dylan Strom at different points. They weren't all there, you know, their whole tenures at the same time every time. But, um, yeah, Taylor Radish, Radish was a top scorer on uh, those Erie Otters teams, for anybody who didn't know, fun fact. Uh, he buries one. He gets inside on uh, Mike Riley absolutely bamboozles Swayman because he was making the cut to the net and added a backhand instead of just trying to stuff it, which I think completely threw off Swayman. Uh, really nice move by uh, Radish. Short-handed chance, too. Uh, what a way to score your first in the National Hockey League. Uh, Audrey Pilat makes it 2-0 in the second period. Charlie Coyle 
cuts the lead to one from Howland Smith. Just a crazy pass from Howla. Uh, no look behind the back. Um, or no look, just backhand. Beautiful, beautiful feed from him. Curtis Lazar shows off those first-round hands he's got every once in a while. Not really, but, you know, it's just it's just a joke. Mm-hmm. Buries one of the backhands. Yeah. He just buries one of the backhand. Clutch goal late, uh, early in the third, not late in the third. But uh, Steven Samkos put a damper on it, sadly. Um, tough, really tough. But he just absolutely blew one right past um, right past Jeremy Swayman. Tough loss. The fact that you got the OT point without Brad Marsh on, though, is pretty nice. Uh, mm-hmm. You also didn't have Charlie McAvoy also dealing with a non-COVID illness at the time. I think they'll take it. I think they'll take it. Don't oh, absolutely. I mean, like I said, the way that game was going, I think I texted you. Like, I feel like it was going to be one of those nights where everything that not could go wrong went wrong. But, like, typical Bruins night at the team where, like, they had a ton of chances early, couldn't get anything to go. And then immediately after they have, they would have one or two good rushes, Tampa Bay would come right down the, the ice and score. I mean, I texted it to you, the Radish goal, obviously, like you said, nice goal, but can't happen. So that was kind of – crap luck there. Like I said, great goal. I don't want to take anything away from that, but like, you know, the point I'm trying to make, it's a goal that can't happen on the, on the power play for the Bruins. But yeah, the fact that they were able to get points out of this game, obviously you'd like to win. And if it goes into overtime, that goes without saying, but I'll take it. You know, you've, you're able to come back. Like you said, when you don't have arguably your two best players out there, like uh, that's, that works for me. Like, again, it's a loss, which stinks, but it could, could have been way, way worse. Yeah, I really could have. And yeah, it's just one of those classic games where they have so many shots and they can't close out the game. It's crazy that without Marshawn and McAvoy, they outplayed Tampa that badly, which is also encouraging, too. So that's that's a, a point of emphasis for anybody looking for something positive to take out of a tough loss. Mm-hmm. Um, I just realized I didn't put the uh, the saves and everything at the bottom like I do for every game in our recap here. Jeremy Swayman, 22 saves on 25 shots in this one. So not quite as nice as the uh, 42 save shutout, but like I wouldn't put a ton of blame on Swayman in this game. Uh, He's, you know, got a little added pressure on him lately and he's going to play again tonight for the Bruins in that with Olmark just getting back in the swing of things. So, um, you know, three games in a row for Swayman. We'll see how he handles it against the lowly Canucks because, you know, they're still pretty bad. But, yeah, I think the Bruins will take the performance they got in this one and mm-hmm. uh, and ride with it into the break that they had through four days um, leading up to the game tonight against the Vancouver Canucks, like I said. Uh, Currently the same exact record as Seattle, but they have less regulation overtime wins, so they're considered the last place team in the division. That could change tonight. They're nine fifteen and two, uh, starting to turn things around a little bit in terms of their top scorers scoring. Uh, before we get to there, um, some notes on the Bruins: Coyle and Grizzly did not skate yesterday, uh, but they did travel. Nosek didn't travel; he's dealing with a non-COVID illness. Coyle and Grizzly were as well. Uh, Bleed will not play tonight, but he did shed the non-contact sweater, skated in full along with McAvoy and Olmark. Um, so that's awesome. Panic set in a little bit this morning when it was announced that Pasternak, Hall, Smith, Felino, and Forbert were not on the ice for morning skate. Half the, um, half the team didn't skate, yeah. 
that like they might have had to cancel the game because they can't have uh, guys just travel to Vancouver from Providence last minute. It was like is Providence is still dealing with their that and yeah they can't they they're still dealing with their COVID outbreak aren't they or their COVID no, situation not that they had or they all set with not that anymore. okay so I didn't know if that was going to factor in but yeah that would have been a the definition I feel like of a game time type of decision if you had guys they would have had they would have had two. I saw someone say Tuka Rask is going to fill in up front. I did uh, see that too. I saw Tuka Rask trying out for the first line or second line right wing spot. Um, I Yeah, I feel like they would have had to cancel the game because there's no way they would have had people play unless they just had a bunch of like emergency forwards and def- emergency defensemen come from somewhere in Vancouver to play just for the right, Bruins. Yeah. A couple of they probably, they probably still beat the Canucks. And yeah. yeah. Um, as far as I know, this will mark the first game. Um, I don't think Vancouver's played yet under Bruce Boudreau, so that'll be interesting. Bruce Boudreau back in the mix. So many funny pictures and gifts of him over the years. Uh, he's quite the character. Um, but yeah, just on the subject of that, the Vancouver, Vancouver Canucks finally cleaned house. They fired Jim Benning five years too late, along with assistant GM John Wisebrod. Travis Green, the head coach, and assistant coach Nolan Baumgartner all related to their duties, and Bruce Boudreaux was named the head coach. I mean, this is a team that rushed to rebuild. They have given out numerous bad contracts and also traded for one this year in Alvarez Larson, albeit they did get Connor Garland and move out some bad contracts in that deal. Um, but when you're playing cleanup, when you have to move three bad contracts in one deal like they did, um, that's a problem. So, it's not going to work, yeah. They need to fix things in a massive way. They need to, you know, embrace the rebuild this year, trade guys like Miller. I would even trade Brock Besser, honestly. They haven't had a first round pick in the last two years, so they're not really, you know, ahead of the game in terms of, you know, getting prospects in the mix in the system. Um, they really need to start making some moves and making them quickly. Well, not quickly, but sooner rather than later, you know, by the deadline. Mm-hmm. Um maybe even sooner if they can, they have one of the league's worst penalty kills to this many games in NHL history. Maybe one of the worst ever in terms of percentage. Um, last I saw, they were at like 64.6%, which is just horrible. Um, oh my God, it's terrible. Yeah, but speaking of Brock Besser, he and Elias Pedersen are both seeing a little bit of an uptick in production lately. Maybe it'll, you know, maybe they'll both play better under Bruce Boudreaux and, a, you know, a new you know set of coaches. There's going to be other lateral moves as well. But, yeah, they're kind of becoming the Senators, um, not the Senators, oh, the God. Sabres, um, in a way. They're just in total disarray. They're finally making some changes. Um, even though the Sabres are pretty bad, they finally made some changes when the time was right uh, much sooner than the Canucks have done. And it's worked out you know, fairly well on the surface to start. You know, Dom Granado has you know, gotten some more out of that team as head coach. Um, Kevin Adams has you know, made some decent moves as GM outside of, you know, the Taylor Hall trade. Um, and they made some good analytical hires too for the analytics crowd. Um, I know a lot of the, those people have celebrated some of the moves they've made um, with popular analytics people in that community, but the Canucks are, you know, starting that process now. And I think they just need to fully embrace it unless, you know, the first few games under J- Bruce Boudreaux go really well. They just really have to embrace this rebuild, and you know it'll start all tonight with the Bruins um, in an hour's time. Speaking of the, those Bruins, uh, Patrice Bergeron, even though he's broken his nose for like the sixth or seventh time, uh, he'll be rocking the fishbowl and playing tonight. 
between Marshawn and Pasternak, which I'm sure he's psyched about having his buddy back on his left. Paul Coyle and Smith will hold down the second line. Hella Frederick and Felina will head to hold down the third line. And DeBrusque, Lazar, and Steen will hold down the fourth line. Love to see Oscar Steen in the mix. Hopefully this isn't the only game on the Western Canadian road trip that we see for Oscar Steen. I want to see him get some reps. He's always serviceable when he's up here. He's tearing it up in the AHL this year. Definitely one of the better forwards, I'd say, in the league. From what I've read and seen, you know, with the stats and all that jazz, he's earned it. You know, I've said it on the show too. He's a 2015 draft pick. He's put in a lot of time in the organization and back in Sweden before he got here. Um, he's earned it. He's earned his shot. And there's a spot for him if you want it. So at least for the time being. So love to see Oscar Steen in the mix. Love watching him play. Can I ask you to butt in really quick? A, a, maybe a wild question that I haven't seen discussed because it's, it's probably it's so wild that it, it shouldn't be discussed in the first place. But I'm going to ask you because I feel like it. With... Marshan coming back, and with we talked about it, how well Taylor Hall played on that top line with Patrice Bergeron and David Pasternak, and we've seen at times this season the second line could use a jolt of energy and just like a, a really good playmaker. I'm not saying Hall's not that guy, but he has taken a step down since Krejci has left. That, that we talked about that. That was going to be expected. Um, mad scientist here. Is there any point where you would uh, experiment with maybe flipping Marshan and Hall? No, no. Okay, no. I didn't. Thanks. So. Um, I just wanted to see if you would give any sort of. I'm crazy very firmly. That... I'm very firmly in the camp that if anybody goes down, um, it's Poshnok. You Poshnok, don't break up. You don't break up Marshawn and Bergeron. It's just, it's just not feasible. Okay. Um, it could work, but it's just not. That was. I wanted. Yeah, kind of see if you thought that if that would be something that maybe would be something that could work, or is it just it's obviously we know what uh what Marshawn and Bergeron bring for each other. Like there's just no touching that kind of connection that they have. Yeah, and I mean, we saw playing with Bergeron and Postnock definitely re-energize Taylor Hall. Mm-hmm. He's just got to keep that same energy up on the second line. Um, okay. I imagine some people out there are a little disappointed that um, to see Coyle and Howla split up with their chemistry they're developing, but they that's just the nature you, of the yeah. beast yep. with Marshawn back. Um, you know, maybe if they get a second line center, that becomes more of a feasible idea, but that is not happening at this point in time. We'll have to wait on that front. Um, defense, forward and McAvoy goes to Carla Riley Clifton. I saw a lot of people um, pissed that Jack Ashan was taken out of the lineup, myself included. I wouldn't say pissed, but I think you could have gotten away with Jack Ashan playing for Connor Clifton again. Some people mm-hmm. wanted him to play for Mike Riley. I don't think they're going to send Mike Riley up to the press box again so soon after that one game he was scratched and I think they're gonna give him more of a chance to you know settle this slump he's in and that mm-hmm. doesn't even make sense settle a slump but you know what I mean yeah um, fix, yeah right uh right the ship a little bit here yeah but yeah I don't think that was realistic you know Jack and Sean will be fine maybe he'll swap back in uh for Clifton against the Oilers tomorrow night because it's back to back I don't know we'll see what happens um but yeah, Jeremy Swayman is in net, playing his third straight, maybe fourth straight. I don't think so though. Um, but back to the Canucks, JT Miller, a guy we've talked about a little bit, um, still leads the team in scoring as he did last time. We talked about the Canucks, twenty-five points in twenty-six games, setting himself up to be the top uh, forward on the trade market come March. Uh, Thatcher Demko, nine eleven and one in net with a two point eight two and a nine twelve save percentage. 
one shutout, and Yarhalak. Nothing has changed since last time. He's 0-4 with a 2.85 goals against and a 9-10 save percentage. And, yeah, they play at 9 o'clock. We'll see what happens tonight. Bruins should win, um, even on the road. I'm sure Brad Marshall will get booed quite a bit because of the Alvarez and Larson stuff. And, of course, we know his history with the Vancouver Canucks in 2011. So he's not a popular guy there. Tomorrow, to continue the Western Canadian road trip, they go from the worst to arguably the best team in the Pacific Division. You know, some might say Calgary, some, you know, because of Dreisaitl and McDavid largely. And now they have Darnell Nurse back from injury. Might say the Oilers, um, they get them on a back-to-back. This game has a nightmare written all over it for me. Um, Back-to-back, two best scores in the league. Just recipe for disaster on the Sounds road. Like you're looking highly at, yeah. It's it it, do, it doesn't have a good feel to me. I think reasonably so. Um, Leon Drysaddle is leading them in scoring, tied with McDavid. Uh, but you know, I'm gonna say he's the leader because you know he got to 43 points first. So I'm gonna give him the uh the lead here. Actually, it's they both have 43 now, right? Let me just double check this. Oh no, McDavid is 42. So I'm an idiot. I just made that go. up. Um, but yeah, Leon Dreisaitl is phenomenal, leads the league in goal scoring as well. He's one ahead of Alex Ovechkin, who's having a crazy year, um, just recently hit 750 career goals, just an absolutely incredible season for Ovi. Miko Koskinen is doing pretty good and Ned's still 12 and three with 2.97 goals against average and 9.11 save percentage. Stuart Skinner has been filling in as the backup with Mike Smith hurt since October 19th. He's two and four with a 2.70 goals against average and 9.20 save percentage. The Oilers, they're the Oilers. Um, things are working out really well. Evan Bouchard has been a huge um, uplift on the defensive side for them, um, giving them some more Secondary scoring support from the back end. They're very good, very well-rounded right now. And Zach Hyman's still fitting in really well. Got solid bottom six depth. There really isn't a weakness with the Oilers right now. That's terrifying on the road in the second half of a back-to-back. So, prayers up. Two days later, they finish up the Western Canadian road trip with the number one team of the Pacific Division, the 15-6-5 and uh, Calgary Flames. Again, wouldn't have, have expected this, but Johnny Goudreau continues to carry the load scoring-wise, playing really good in a contract year. Um, he's got 28 points, 9 goals, and 19 assists in 25 games. Jacob Markstrom, arguably the best goalie in the league in the eyes of some um, this season. 10-5-4 and four with a 1.83 goals against average, 937 save percentage, and 5 shutouts. Um, Dan the man, Ladar, Darth Ladar, Darth Later, if you want to, you know, do the pronunciation so it sounds like Darth Vader, but you'd be wrong to say that. Is 5-0-1, has lost the game in regulation as a Calgary Flame. 1.78 goals against average and a 9.39 save percentage, fitting in tremendously in Calgary. Happy for him. Two shutouts for him. They're getting tons of depth scoring. They're just phenomenal. Andrew Mangiapane has 17 goals and three assists, keeping up with that crazy stat line. Uh, we'll talk about the Flames with the Jake DeBrus trade stuff a little bit later, but um, they're a machine right now, and it's crazy to see both teams amongst the Battle of Alberta playing so well. Now we just need a game where they beat the crap out of each other like they did last year. That's I think sure. we'd all be on board with that. Absolutely. And then, you know, you stick with the Pacific Division all week. 
with the Vegas Golden Knights capping it off. They're getting healthy still, so they're you know getting reacclimated with you know certain guys with certain line mates and you know certain guys coming back. Max Pacioretty came back like a week and a half ago now. William Carlson just came back. Jack Eichel just started skating, but he's still a bit of a ways out. Their leading scorer is Chandler Stevenson, traded from the Washington Capitals last year. He's fit in like a glove this year. Uh, playing in the top six is taking on big minutes and thrives. He's got 22 points in 24 games for them. Robin Lehner is the starting goalie for the Golden Knights, 10-9 and nine this year with a 3.02 goals against and a 9-10 save percentage. And Lauren Boissois uh, will back him up with a 4-1-0 record, a 2.46 goals against and a 9-21 save percentage. Um, they're still very good. You know, they're, they're kicking things up a notch as they get more healthy. Um, there'll be a threat come playoff time. And I say playoff time because I think they will make it even though they're on the fringe right now. Um, they're Vegas. Yep. They've been good since they came into the league. This is nothing new. Um, there'll be a tough test. Riley Smith for Bruins playing very well. He's got 20 points. Um, yeah, they're pretty good. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. And, um, like I said, speaking of Vegas, and speaking of William Carlson, Sean Monahan, as I clued to, Ty Anderson, for anybody who doesn't listen to the Bruins beat on CLNS Media with Evan Marinovsky, um, he brought up some crazy trade ideas that I really like on the podcast with Evan this week. Listen while I was at work yesterday. William Carlson, Braden McNabb, Sean Monahan. Just going to throw out those three names. He threw out William Carlson and Braden McNabb as a package deal potentially for the Bruins because when Jack Eichel comes back, they're going to need to clear around or more than $10 million in cap space to accommodate him off long-term IR. And a lot you know, of money. they're not going to be able to tamp it. It's just <laughs> not happening unless a bunch of players get injured um, and they can just mosey his contract into the mix onto the books. This would knock out two birds of one stone for the Bruins. Braden McNabb in the past, not over the past couple of years, though, has played on the right side as a left hand, a left shot defenseman. He's like six foot five, shot blocking machine. I mean, the Bruins would lead the league in block shots uh, if they had him and Derek Forbert on the same team. And even Charlie McAvoy eats a lot of block shots in a full season. This would be phenomenal if they could pull this off, even just one of them. Um, you know, I don't think this is a type of situation where they would move a guy like Riley or a guy like Forward in the deal, you know, to give a left-handed defenseman to receive a left-handed defenseman, then obviously the center just to have a second-line center. Um, the thing that makes this appealing to, to me, and I want to build on Ty's point, is thinking about what's been going on with Vegas lately. They just traded a top center prospect of Peyton Krebs to the um, – Buffalo Sabres and the Jack Eichel deal. And at this event, they'd be trading Brandon McNabb. So if Jake DeBrusque is still around at the time, you think of making this trade in a hypothetical sense, you throw him in there because I think he'd be of interest and just has value. They're going to have to take on some salary unless they want it to be a full picks and prospects trade in this case. Um, I think Jake DeBrusque would have interest to them but maybe he won't because they literally have to clear $10 million. Um, and a couple of guys I think would have interest to in them because they traded Peyton Krebs, Jack Stanika, that another young uh, center prospect could have interest uh, to the Vegas Golden Knights. And then uh, 
even though Zaboral is hurt, will be re-evaluated in two weeks. Zaboral could have interest to them because they'd be trading a left-shot defenseman. So you send her a, pro, um, a package around like a first-round pick, potentially Jake DeBrush, probably not though now that I think of it because of the salary. I don't think they're going to want to take much salary at all back so they can make it work and accommodate Jack Eichel. But yeah, I think for those reasons uh, I just previously mentioned, Sadika and Zaboral will have interest and then you'd probably have to give up two or three more assets because I think William Carlson is pretty valuable to them at the top of his game. Uh, he makes that contract look pretty reasonable that he carries. And then, you know, McNabb is a pretty underrated defensive defenseman, I'd say. And if the Bruins wanted to go completely ballistic on the trade market, that would be the way to do it. Big trade, yeah. I mean, they're arguably the number two contender in the East if they make this, besides Florida. It's a bold claim. That I mean, that center depth is just crazy. If you get Carl, if you have Bergeron, Carlson, Coyle, and Lazar or Nosek, whoever. That's true. Whoever you want to throw into that fourth line, yeah, that's that is something to think about. Just jump on, jump on that Bruins fans, because um, my God, I don't think it's very realistic. But I mean, he's he's Ty's bringing up a point here that I don't think a lot of people are talking about. That Vegas is going to have to clear out a lot of salary, and you know maybe it's Riley Smith who's the guy they decide to move. He's having a great year. His value's got to be high, makes $5 million, but it's not going to just be him. They're going to have to move out. They could move out Smith and Carlson, just two forwards. They could just be a hell of a move. That would be something, but they get a really weird situation and the Bruins might be able to exploit it. Just saying. Um, Just throwing that out there. Just throwing that out there. Shout out to Ty for that idea. I wouldn't have thought of it. Um, he also threw out Sean Monahan as a trade target. Sean Monahan has fallen to the third line for the Calgary Flames. Don't know what the reasons are for there, but it's just something he had picked up on, and I had not noticed until he brought it up. He's got two years less than his contract at $6.35 million, I think. Um, so it wouldn't be a huge long commitment for the Bruins. Um, Jake DeBrus is from Western from Western Canada, so Calgary, you know, locationally would be an appealing spot for him and his family and his friends. And Calgary's got a busy offseason ahead of him. Johnny Goudreau has expressed willingness to stay and sign long term. They have to sign Matthew Kachuk, who is tearing it up this year, looking like a nine million dollar plus player. And then Andrew Mangiapane could win the freaking Morris. Maurice Rocket Richard trophy at this rate with 17 goals. He's not too far behind Berge, not Bergeron. Um, Ovechkin. You gotta move on some salary if you're the Calgary Flames. And Sean mm-hmm. Monahan could be the guy that goes. So that's another leverage spot the Bruins could capitalize on. I think the Brus would definitely have interest in the Flames. Um, you know, we already know for a fact they do have some interest, as we talked about last week with the initial reports that came out them as one of the suitors makes you think makes you think Sean Monahan could be that number two center I think it, it wouldn't be a straight up swap I think the Bruins would have to add a draft pick or a prospect in that regard um, it also just depends on how Calgary values Monahan because we don't know exactly how th- that is they could want Nebraska first and a prospect who knows 
but we'll have to wait and see. I think it's, I think that's way more realistic than the Vegas one, but Mm -hmm. um, both interesting leverage situations for the Bruins, if they want to take um, control of them, isn't it? I would say so. I mean, I think that the really interesting point to bring up that the whole salary thing, because like, I feel like the Bruins might have a leg to stand on. And if you're looking at a team that's trying to dump salary, like DeBrusque is a guy that doesn't make, what's he make like 3 million? 3.675. Okay. So yes, that's a decent, yeah, decent number, but I mean, obviously not as much as the other guys you mentioned. So, I mean, yeah, it definitely gives you more of a, a thought of, obviously we kind of talked about it. I brought up the point last week when we discussed the DeBrusque stuff that, you know, any, any trade that you can get some sort of value for, I would move them for because I didn't. We both didn't think rather that the brush trade value was going to be all that high. But now I think after you you say these these things that maybe, like I said, the Bruins might actually have more of a leg to stand on now, going to a team like Vegas or like Calgary, like you mentioned, saying like, "Hey, we can help you get out from under these contracts. Take this guy in a pick, and we'll we'll be square and we'll be all set." So definitely interesting to think about. Like like you, I've thought of any of these names thinking of talking in the same sentence as Jake DeBrusque when it comes to trades. Yep. Um, it is going to be an interesting situation to follow. That's for sure. Um, Jake DeBrusque just recently today was listed at the number three spot on TSN's first TSN hockey trade bait list of the season. Just 10 players on this one as compared to like 25 to like 50. They do later in the year. Um, but, yeah, he's number three just behind Anton Hudobin. And number two, as the stars, when Ben Bishop is healthy, will have four goalies at the NHL level. So they're going to have to move one and, you know, figure out what to do with the third. Probably send Jake Ottinger just back down to uh, Dallas for – or Texas, rather, for the Texas Stars. Um, ben Sherratt, number one in Montreal. He's pending UFA. Been one of their better players this year in a tough season. Uh, he'll definitely have some interest – Mark Giordano at four. Interesting to see that him already on the move, potentially. You know, he is a pending UFA, though. Already their captain, but, you know, they could definitely move him there in a tough spot this year. Tomas Hurdle, unsurprising name. He's His name's been in the mill for a little while now. Nick Letty, pending UFA at number six. Vitaly Kravtsov, we talked about um, at number seven. Kevin Fiala, who I would jump all over in a Jake DeBrus trade for the Bruins, personally. Um, he's a penny RFA, just like DeBrusque. I would be all over that, all over it. Um, Phil Kessel for another former Bruin. Um, not all over that one. No, that one, you can, yeah, take that one and shove it. Yeah, that's just like, some people are still chasing that dragon. I'm not. <laughs> just, no, no. It's 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 not going to happen. Yeah, no it's thanks. too much money. He's just not coming back here. It doesn't seem like, you know, he would, he would want to. Um, there's, you know, different things out there about, you know, whether he would, you know, welcome a trade back to the Bruins. I don't, you know, I think it would just be awkward. I think yeah, it would I be awkward. Say, I don't think he will. Or he would. Like. It ain't happening. It would be something if it did, though. I will say that. Um, but, yeah, he, I want to see how many years. He actually is a UFA at the, um, at season's end, so he could be an appealing rental, but uh, not for the Bruins. I don't no. think so. Um, and then Evander Kane, last on the list, he's in a hellish spot from his own doing because he's dumb as fuck. But yeah, no, I mean, thanks. some somebody somebody will trade for him. I think 
because he is pretty damn good when he's not being a shithead. He can't score 30 goals. Um, but the big thing for moving Evander Kane is going to be nobody's going to want to take on that $7 million for a troubled player. So True. it's going to be like, a, it's going to be like a three team trade. Someone will retain salary and then trade him to whatever team um, to help make it easier to stomach how much money he makes because nobody's going to want to pay that 7 million. Um, and one last thing, speaking of the sharks, Kevin LeBanc was healthy scratch. I have been banging on the drum. Kevin LeBanc for Jake DeBrusque for like two years now. Just get it done. I was going to say Fiala and LeBanc are the two names I feel like that have come up the most whenever we discuss Jake DeBrusque trades. Oh, Kevin Fiala here would just, that would make me very happy. He, he is so awesome. He had a tough start to this year, but he's really picking it up. Um, fast, amazing shooter. Um, I think it was one of the more underrated shots in the league. I would kill for Kevin Fiala here. Um, love the player. Love, love, love the player. But um, any additional trade thoughts on your end? No, I'm just curious now with – I know we kind of, like I said, we talked about it before. As soon as you get a – at least I think this, as soon as you get an offer that's worth something, you, I feel like you should move to Brusque. I don't know if the names you meant that you said Ty Anderson mentioned, I feel like these are trades you're going to have to probably wait more so on than just right away, especially the Vegas one with you have to wait for Eichel to come back. Like, I don't know if these are something you would see maybe getting done sooner rather than later. As this is like a wait and see type of thing. If a trade like that were to go down. There's like – Something initially came out that, like, I think there's some optimism that they can get it done before the trade freeze around Christmas time. But, like, I don't know. Like, I kind of have a feeling this is going to take a while. But, like I said at the start of this, like, there hasn't been a whole lot since the initial stuff about DeBrusque. So, we don't really know. Um, Something could materialize really quickly. Um, But, yeah, it's it's totally a wait-and-see scenario, doy. But, um (laughs) Like I said, when it first came out, I, I really, I'm really curious to see what happens. I really want something to happen sooner rather than later and just get this done with. Um, one last note before we wrap things up, a crazy story potentially developing with the Coyotes that they may be locked out of their arena by the city of Glendale for unpaid arena charges and delinquent tax bills. This is per, <laughs> Katie, this is per Katie Strang, um, at Katie Strang on Twitter. That's like the Jamal Adams video where he can't get into the Jets practice facility. That's going to be them when they try and get in the ring tomorrow. That's bad. The freaking Coyotes, man. That's a Um, poverty franchise right there. That's that's the definition of a poverty franchise. Yeah, literally. Um, There was a report, like, I think within the week, well, the past week, they were, you know, there was momentum towards them potentially going to Houston, but they shot that down. Um, So, yeah, they got to figure something out in uh, Arizona sure. because they're, you know, they're a mess. Let's just put it that way. Putting it lightly. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a tough situation down there in the desert. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to wrap it up for us. Excited to watch the Bruins game. Almost definitely not going to make it the whole game <laughs> because, you know, I can't stay up that late anymore, it's but I might will myself too. I might will myself too because any Cousins Stiz fans out there will know he's dropping a new song tonight at midnight. So I might try to stay up to listen to it at midnight because the Bruins are playing late. I might as well. Um, but we'll see. I'm not counting on it. I'll probably be asleep at like 1040. 
if I had to guess. But hopefully I can stay up for the game because the Bruins are playing. But, yeah, no uh, no Sox and Celtics this week. There's just not really a whole lot to talk about um, in terms of what's happened with the lockout for the MLB. And the Celtics, there's just not a whole jumping off the page with them right now that's no, they know, worth di- diverting a huge discussion to. Um, so sorry, Celtics fans, but, you know, that's just how it is to us. Um, don't take it personally. Sorry, Luke. <laughs> sorry, Luke. I know it's Luke not likes personal. to talk Celtics um, the most. Anything Celtics-wise we would talk about really quick, uh, something that if you've watched the Celtics, you would probably already know, is that they're a middle-of-the-pack team that can't seem to beat anybody good. Uh, they can't even beat bad teams like the Lakers last night. They get blown out by them. So we're not really going to regurgitate anything that you've already witnessed. And if anybody with a brain, like I said, that has, that's been watching the Celtics, you can kind of figure out what what the deal is with them. You don't need to hear us kind of say the same thing if you're already thinking. Yeah. Also, ooh, one more one more point I forgot. Uh, the Devils are wearing those jersey jerseys tonight. Say jersey, yeah. Mackenzie Blackwood came out with a new helmet that says mask. Helmet. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so that's that's pretty funny. Um, I actually saw two. For anybody who watches, I think you should leave um, with um, Tim Robinson. I don't know why this made me think of that, um, but I saw something funny for. I'm assuming there's people out there listening that they're making Dan Flash's dresses. Um, I saw Jeff Israel for anybody in the Bruins community who knows Jeff. He's hilarious. Um, tweeted that out. So for anybody who hasn't seen that, that's pretty funny. For any ladies listening that might want to buy a Dan, Dan Flash's dress, look it up on Google. Maybe it's a uh, Christmas Christmas gift idea. But I thought that was funny. I don't know why. It just, it just kind of made me think like the connection to Dan Flash's being crazy clothing in a weird jersey, I guess. Um Anybody who watches the show will understand that connection, sort of, unless you think I'm a fucking idiot, which is totally <laughs> possible. Um, I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling at this point. That's going to wrap it up for just episode 72 um, of the Savage and Credit Sports Podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening. Uh, we appreciate it. It's about 826 right now. You can follow us on Twitter. If you throw a solid karate pod into the Twitter search bar, you'll be able to find us there. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Craddy, Ryan at Ryan underscore Savaggio. You can follow us on TikTok, go Savaggio and Craddy into the search bar. Um, check out our Anchor FM page, find all the ways to listen. Um, if you're on Spotify, hit the notification bell. If you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. If you feel so inclined, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, a bunch of other platforms are available as well. Check out more information on our Anchor FM site. And um, until next week with the Charlie McAvoy episode, episode 73. Um, we will bid you adieu and see you then. Stay safe, stay healthy, be nice to people. Um, the world is crazy, so you know, try and be civil. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Peace out.